Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from EverAg Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Phil Plord. We're excited to have you along. If you like what you hear, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. First things first, let's timestamp this episode. It's about 1 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, April 12th. Block cheddar cheese is at $1.78 per pound, down three cents from a week ago. Barrels are at $1.58, down 17 cents on the week. Butter is actually up a little bit, $2.38, a little post-Easter rally, up six cents. Non-fat dry milk, up two cents at 115. Looking at grain markets, nearby corn, 657 a bushel, uh, up four cents on the week. Beans, 15.04, down seven. And the soy meal market is at about $460 a ton, up $10. Let's turn to our all-star panel. Today, we're fortunate to have Kathleen Wolfley, one of our broker agents, Kevin Peterson, who works on the Everag commercial desk, and Britt O'Connell, one of our grain marketing advisor leaders. Welcome, everyone. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us, Phil. As is the case with every episode, we like to start with what's the buzz, talking about what's making the most noise in the areas we cover. Let's start with you, Kathleen, today. What's the buzz in your area? It is spring in dairy country. Finally, there's a lot of manure getting spread here in western New York where I'm located, and I think people are finally putting those last-minute touches on corn planters. I know we've talked a lot about milk production on, on this podcast here in the last couple of weeks, but there's still a lot of questions around milk production between flooding in California, tight margins on dairies, and recently a devastating loss of a, a large facility in Texas this week. I think the crystal ball on Q2 milk production is, is really far from clear. I know from my perspective, I'm keeping a close eye on profitability particularly considering that we've seen a little bit of slumping in, in class three and class four prices over the course of the last several weeks. Kevin Peterson, what say you in the commercial world at Everag? Uh, the buzz right now in the commercial space is basically focused around cheese. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a push up to $2 and four cents about on average, a little counter seasonal and kind of caught people off guard a bit. You know, milk's continued to trade around eight to 10 under, especially in the Midwest. Looking at international landscape, you know, our, our spot right now continues to trade about 20 cents under the averages over in Europe and uh, New Zealand. But, you know, our futures have really kind of failed to break. May and June right now sitting at about 20 cent premium to the current spot market. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if we're going to be able to, you know, export off this move. You know, maybe spot wise we are, but, you know, looking out at those futures, uh, we're kind of hanging in there with the rest of the world. So, you know, marginal exports might be a little tricky. It's like, Nobody believed $2 when it happened or, you know, we didn't talk to anybody who said, oh yeah, this makes total sense. We should stay here. Are we kind of just raced right back to the other side of the street and people are like, yeah, maybe 180 sub 160 on barrels is a little too cheap. Is it unbelievable in the other direction? Yeah, you know, I think it is getting that way. You know, obviously on the cheese average here, we've kind of made new lows on the year. 
Going and looking at barrels down there at around uh, 156, 158. I, you know, I think that is getting a little cheap. I think you're going to start seeing some people kind of come out of the woodwork and, you know, be willing to own barrels down there. You know, obviously we are in our flush period, but it's also a time when people will take on some inventories for the summer. And so I do think barrels are getting a little cheap here. Britt, on a scale of one to five, with one being the least exciting possible and five being the most exciting possible, where did this week's USDA WASDE report come in in terms of grain markets? Well, it was uh, it was a rather uneventful report. The trade really wasn't necessarily expecting a lot of changes, but we were expecting a few changes, and there were no changes issued to the soybean balance sheet, and very few changes offered to the corn ending stocks number. Nothing material changed. Ending stocks remained the same. And really, when we look at the grain markets in general, things have been pretty quiet. They've been rather range bound here as of late. Yeah, I mean, corn, you know, 645, 650, 660, and we kind of bounce back and forth, right? It's definitely been the case. And, you know, we're heading into the time of year where historically grain prices do start to grab a few gears and move higher. Kathleen alluded to it, but here in America's Dairyland, farmers are busy getting ready to plant as well. There's some seeding going on right now. I've even heard of a few guys starting to plant some beans, plant some corn, and so it's at this time where a lot of times the grain farmer disengages from, from the marketplace. And what we find is that buyers are having to incentivize those farmers to come back and look at the market. And so with a demand situation that's, I'll call it lackluster at best, it's going to be really interesting to see how markets respond in an environment in a time of year where historically they've really got to incentivize selling already. Speaking of demand, I, I'd like to take that to the center of the plate this week. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about supply, talked a lot on this show about producer farm margins, but let's just talk about demand overall. Um, you know, today we saw inflation data, you know, saying inflation was only up 5%-ish year over year, but food inflation still running really hot at over 8%. We hear different things out of restaurants, you know, performance good, performance so-so. The consumer, is the consumer in trouble? Is the consumer in good shape? Is the economy skidding off towards recession? These are all topics. It's hard to draw straight lines between some of them and cheese demand should be up 2% or butter demand should be down 1%, but they all influence the overall mood. So you know, Kathleen, you and I had a conversation this week with a, uh, an editor from uh, Restaurant Business News, I believe, who was talking about the restaurant space and consumer resilience there. What are we seeing and hearing in terms of demand for dairy products and cheese in the world out there? You know, one thing that I thought was interesting from from that conversation, Phil, was this talk about delivery and that delivery is maybe starting to see a little bit of slippage and how that might impact pizza specifically. Just considering that it's expensive to get their product delivered and if folks are relying on pizza delivery and maybe opting for something else, that could potentially have some knock-on effects for particularly the mozzarella market. Britt, you mentioned demand being sort of so-so in the grain space. Why don't you talk about that for a second in, in a narrow sense, and then maybe talk about some of your broader thoughts about demand out there in your world. I think the biggest knock that corn has had all year is the fact that demand hasn't been great. When you look at the export market, short of the month of March, where we had exceptional demand, most of which came from China after a relatively big sell-off in the corn market, 
there's just not been an appetite for high-priced products from the rest of the world. And I think as we look at corn demand moving forward, we don't necessarily see that changing. There's always going to be some demand that's somewhat inelastic to price, but by and large, a lot of the buyers are kind of weary. They're just tired of high prices. The inflation, the general inflation that the economy's got is wearing on them as well. And they're basically saying, hey, if I don't need it right now, if it's not essential, I'm not buying it. And, you know, I would take that a step further and say, as I talk with producers across the country, I'm starting to kind of pick up almost a similar sentiment from them. A lot of them have had a couple of good years, but they're preparing for tougher times ahead. And they're kind of taking that cash and stashing it away. They they aren't frivolously spending it on things that would be nice to have. And some of those nice to haves, I mean, the prices of them are shockingly high, right? I mean, you know, the brand new this or the brand new that, it's 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 pretty sobering when you look at prices, right? And that's that's the biggest part of it. I mean, if you look at the price of equipment, new or used, they're still at incredibly elevated values. Producers, they're really evaluating the purchases that they make and asking themselves, what does this bring back to my operation? And is there a more immediate ROI? Some of those longer term investments, they seem to be stepping away from, if you will. And interest rates playing a role in all that from where you sit? Oh, absolutely. As we talk with producers, I would say on average, most guys are telling me it's seven to nine cents a month to carry a bushel of corn or a bushel of soybeans forward. And when you look at the cash grain market right now, I think that's something you've got to be incredibly mindful of. There's this question that continues to circulate around in the grain space, which is, what is demand going to be as we move into you know, the end of summer with stocks being so tight? Is there going to be any old crop corn or old crop beans out there to buy? And if there is, what are these buyers going to have to pay for it? But you've also got to ask yourself the question of what is it going to cost you to hold on to grain that long to, you know, defer some of those payments and, and pay interest on them in, uh, you know, another month or two or three longer. I think there's a big risk there. And we're starting to see producers really take that into account when they're making those marketing decisions. Hey, hey Britt, I have a question for you. Do you think any of this demand is ultimately influenced by the consumer? I think there's certainly a, always a drawback to the consumer. I think it, it, in a lot of ways it starts there. You know, when you look at, I'm no, by no means a cattle expert, but, you know, as you look at the cattle market right now, you've got near contract highs. You've got to go back to 2014 to see fat cattle values, feeder cattle values at some of the published prices that are out there. And we know that supplies are tight on the cattle side, given some of the drought conditions. So it's having an impact, you know, ultimately on the bottom line of these feedlots. They're having to pay elevated prices for feed across the country, especially in those areas that are feed deficit traditionally and with the Western Corn Belt. Not having the best crop, we're bringing that corn across the country even further to some of these areas. So it's it's elevating those prices and making those margins tight. When we look at you know gasoline and ethanol demand, the big question is going to be as we move into the summer months where we historically see travel pick up and demand for gasoline naturally pick up, is the American consumer going to be inclined to travel as much? Are they going to look at maybe some staycation types of, of vacations where they stay a little closer to home or are they going to you know 
take that big venture out into the, you know, further reaches. Those are all question marks that we've got. And I think that's a really interesting discussion as we look at ethanol margins today. They're kind of either side of profitable. And ethanol is just kind of humming along, if you will. I think that could have a really interesting impact, Phil, late in the summer. If we do see the consumer say, hey, I'm not taking that vacation. I'm not traveling as much. Therefore, ethanol demand comes down. Some of these ethanol plants that are already running on tight margins might say, hey, we're not interested in and, you know, as aggressively pursuing ownership on some corn. They may kind of slow that grind a little bit. And that could come as a big shock to the market where some of these producers are kind of banking on that. Kevin, I don't know if you are a regular on the uh, fancy Chicago steakhouse circuit, but I know that, uh, you know, as Britt alluded to, with with cattle short supply and, and prices high, uh, your average steak at, uh, at, at the big time Chicago steakhouse is very expensive. What are you seeing in terms of demand, both from our customer base that you deal with, as well as the surrounding area of Chicago? Uh, the overall economy there? You know, I think uh, food service wise, you know, I'm speaking just specifically in Chicago. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, still pretty hard to get a reservation, still a couple weeks out at most restaurants. So, you know, I think people are still going out, you know, we're a high of 80 today. So, I, you know, spring, maybe summer, just right around the corner, not quite yet, but definitely some warmer temperatures. Um, you know, looking at the cheese front, you know, we did that push up to above $2. You know, all year, really, I think, um, from what I've heard, end-user demand has been there. Retail food service has been humming along, you know, maybe not great. But, you know, I think traders took a step back when commodity cheddar was above $2 and weren't necessarily partaking. Now that we're down here at $1.60 again, I think I think they are stepping back in into this market. Kathleen, you are in the parking lot, from what I understand, of one of America's legendary grocery store chains, <laughs> Wegmans. <laughs> The only grocery store chain you made. Only grocery store chain. So today we saw inflation data showing that food at home prices were up 8.3% year over year in the month of March. And while that was a little less aggressive than what we saw in February, when you stack 2023 inflation on top of 22 inflation, you're still at plus 19% compared to 2021. So... Is the Wegmans parking lot full? What are you seeing? I mean, I know you're a grocery store aficionado. What are you seeing out there in terms of grocery store behavior and uh, in your own household or amongst your peer set or, or what you observe generally? Well, I would say just anecdotally, the parking lot's pretty full for a Wednesday at uh, 2.30 in the afternoon Eastern time. Uh, but I just think from a consumer perspective, when you look at nearly 20% inflation over two years, people are are definitely sitting up a little straighter and taking notice. And, and maybe that's shifting out of buying a brick of specialty cheese to going back to more commodity styles, just because it's a, a little bit cheaper, you can get a little bit more bang for your buck. And and I would say that, you know, just generally, we've, we've picked that up from from folks that we talk to in, in industry as well. I think that just consumers in general are stretched a little bit thinner and groceries, an easy way to, to cut the budget a little bit. We've talked, I think, in the past about how restaurants can be an affordable luxury versus when you're looking at, do I toss two pounds of butter that might cost me 10 bucks for two pounds versus one pound of butter that's just five? That's an easy cut. You know, what's interesting is that I don't believe you mentioned, you know, you know thinner. I, I don't know that we're getting thinner as a nation. Um, <laughs> you know, we're probably still eating as much food. But where we're eating it, the branding of that food, whether we're getting it at a quick service restaurant or a higher end restaurant, 
I mean, that that all it all matters. I, I think that overall demand is still okay, uh, but definitely some interesting things about where and how the products are coming to us. And that does definitely have ripple effects on the markets. It's almost like we have this kind of push and pull in the market right now. You've got a lot of people who are feeling the impacts of the higher prices at the grocery store and making some real significant adjustments and changes to what they're buying. Yet we still hear that the consumer is lazy. The consumer is going out and eating, going to restaurants. And so somewhere there's either a disconnect by our consumer or I I just, to me, that that's just an interesting dynamic where we are hearing about people really having that food inflation you know, impact them in a, in a significant way in the decisions that they're making about what they're buying, yet they're still going out to eat quite a bit. Yeah. And, and, and some of this stuff could be invisible to the market, right? If, if you're going to the grocery store and you're buying, you know, private label brand cheese instead of branded cheese, the companies involved will notice it may not necessarily change the overall demand dynamic. So a lot of this trading around creates noise and, you know, it has implications for the individual players it may not move the needle in a dramatic or obvious way on the aggregated level, right? I mean, a pound of cheese that comes home to your grocery cart, it doesn't really matter whether it's, you know, store brand or national brand XYZ. So that's another part of this that's kind of fascinating to me. So it's time for our last segment, panelists. What are we doing to help our clients these days? So we'll start with you, Kevin Peterson. What, what's the conversations you're having with clients and what are you doing to help them? You know, most uh, futures markets are kind of in line with where spots trading, maybe give a you know general carry in there as well. I'm trying to focus on cheese right now and, you know, any way to take advantage of, again, we talked about that 20 cent premium, even just in May, and it only grows from there on back the curve. So any way to kind of take advantage of that premium, especially if you're holding inventory, has kind of been my focus here the last week. Kathleen, what about yourself? From a producer perspective, I, I've been talking to folks about the uncertainty that's still in the market as we look into the second half of the year. So as opportunities present themselves, getting a little bit more covered into into second half. And Britt, assuming you can get a hold of your clients on the combine phone, what are, what are you working with them on? Uh, it's the planter phone this time of year, Phil. Oh, that's, right. but... <laughs> that's what you have when a dairy guy starts talking grains. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And reevaluate how you look at these markets. Opportunity may look slightly different than it's looked in the past, but if you're making money, it's hard to go broke. That's all for today's show. Thanks to our panelists, Kevin, Britt, and Kathleen. Thanks, as always, to Paige Driscoll, our master media person, for making us all sound good. And thanks to you, our listeners. Once again, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more about how we help people manage risk, contact us at insights at ever.ag. 